For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. One of the first things you'll notice is I'm kind of getting my voice back, (laughs) and there's still a little bit of a, a cough and a rasp, and I'm going to try my best to not have that happen, but I am very excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Dale Partridge, and we're going to explore how focusing on purpose and people leads to powerful marketing. Purpose, people, power, triple P. We're also going to explore his story and some of the really amazing things that he has accomplished with social media. This is going to be part inspiration and part tactical, and I think you're really, really going to love it, so stick around. Also want to remind you that you can always contact me directly by emailing podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. That comes right into my inbox. So with that, let's move on to today's awesome new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. I'm joined this week by Eric Fisher. Eric, what have you discovered? I have found a cool way to animate text on your phone. Animate text on your phone. Elaborate a little bit what you mean by that. Okay. So you know how you're flipping through Instagram and you see some stills and then suddenly if you've got it um, set to autoplay, you're going to start seeing different th- you know, movie clips that people have taken. What if you could take some of those really cool you know, crowd favorite word swag type images where it's text over an image – but what if the text was moving and came in and out and it animated and looked awesome moving? Very cool. So tell me, is this an app or is this a web-based tool or what, what's it called? What did you discover? It's called Legend and it is an app. It's an iOS app. And what it does is you can take text and select that an animation style for that text. You can choose a color, a filter, a background image, and maybe even a photo or a video for the background, and then you're done. Okay, so are you using um, background images that are within the app, or can you pull a a video out of your phone or a picture out of your phone and add this kind of on top of it? All of the above. So have we used this, or have you used this? And if so, can you kind of share what you did with it? Yeah, uh, I did. uh, I've used it, and we've used it, and uh, we actually even did... Uh, a screenshot of the social media marketing society. Um, the, what's the the trail marker, the mile marker, the the banner? Uh, and it was faded out. You couldn't tell what it was. And words came in and talked about it for a few seconds, and then those fade out. 
and then up pops the uh, the banner. Now, what's really intriguing about this is obviously this is an app that's designed to create these short videos for Instagram, but there's nothing stopping you from getting those videos and using them in other social networks, right? Oh, exactly. Because what we did was we then shared that over from uh, Instagram over to Facebook. So then it became a looping video over there on our Facebook page. And do you think it's possible to also share it on Twitter? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's going to still work out a little bit differently because the Instagram and Twitter connections a little bit uh, less uh, seamless, but you can always share it and say, you can save out these videos as well from the app. You don't have to just share it to Instagram. You could save it out and even uh, tweet them as native Twitter. Very cool. Now, what's, what's the name of this app again? The name of it is Legend. I think and of that movie, I Am Legend. Isn't that, was that, was that a <laughs> yes. Will Smith movie or something? Will Smith, like? yes. Yep. So think about that movie when you think about this app, Legend. And it sounds like a really cool way to pretty effortlessly create animated videos. Would you say that that's the case? Is it pretty simple to use? Uh, yeah. Oh, it's it's fairly simple. I mean, you just select what version of the text you want and start typing in the text you actually want to display. And you just, you know, you move stuff around a little bit and, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of, you know, it feels like something that not just doesn't just have a marketing use, but has a, a fun communication style use as well. And is it free or is it a paid app? It's paid. It's a dollar ninety nine. $1.99 might be a good investment, folks. You heard it uh, here. Check it out. Um, is there like a website that they can go to or do they have to go into the app store? I could not find a website, strangely enough, but it does have uh, a placement in the app store. You just type in legend and if that doesn't bring it up, type in animate text and that should bring it up as well. Eric Fisher, thank you so much for sharing uh, your insights with us and that little tip. I appreciate it. You're welcome. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show. Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. All right, let's transition over to that awesome interview with Dale Partridge. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined today by Dale Partridge. If you don't know who Dale is, he's the founder of Sevenly, a company that couples t-shirts with causes, and also he's a startup expert. He blogs at thedailypositive.com. He also founded StartupCamp.com, and he's got a podcast by the same name called Startup Camp. Dale's latest book is called People Over Profit, Break the System, Live with Purpose, Be More Successful. Dale, welcome to the show. Dude, super stoked to be here, my friend. So today, Dale and I are going to explore um, the concept of purpose, and we're also going to explore a little bit of his story and how Dale has used social media to create a lot of success. Dale, I want to start with your backstory. Uh, you've achieved a lot, and you're relatively young. I'm 46. I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing young 30s. Um, could be wrong. Am I close? I, you're close. I turned 30 uh, two days ago. Well, happy birthday. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so let's start with your story. Um, you know, what got you here? Let's kind of just start wherever you want to start. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, my whole life, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. And I thought that was going to happen. And I didn't because I broke my arm in the, in the summer between uh, college or high school and college pitching because I was a left-handed pitcher. And, and I found myself thinking, man, I, like my whole dreams, like everything fell apart. And I realized I, I, I wanted to start my first business. I was kind of entrepreneurial. I think that being a pitcher as a child, your whole life, you learn how to lead the team. You learn how to like control the game. And I, I felt like that it maybe was preparing me to be a leader. And, um, I found myself saying, I wanted to create a business that learned why I, I broke. Why did my arm break? Hmm. And I started a fitness company. And um, I grew the company to about five employees and, and about a half million dollars in revenue, actually. It was a, it was a pretty interesting business. And uh, then I realized that I was training overweight, wealthy women. And I was a therapist and I wasn't a trainer. And so I said, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here. This is like not for me at 19 or 20 years old. Uh, I sold the company uh, to a young couple for 50 grand. Um, and I was the wealthiest 19 year old or 20 year old that I knew. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do with this money? And, um, and, uh, I started doing some investments in the stock market, lost some money, made some money, started a rock climbing gym. Uh, so I, I raised a half million dollars at 22 years old and started a rock climbing gym and, and built that company up. And I, I thought for sure, this was it. I'm going to be building rock climbing gyms for my whole life. And, and I figured that like, you know, I didn't have to look for work ever again. Uh, and then I got pulled into the yoga room by my other business partners and I got fired from my own company. Mm. Um, and I realized like, whoa, like, uh, they, they said, Dale, you're a horrible leader, you know? And, and I was 22. I was a horrible leader and I was, I was a horrible, um, CEO and, and I was a bad manager and, and, and it, and I didn't notice this until months after, you know, but I had someone to tell me that, you know, Dale, you got a booger on your face. Right. So I, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I changed and I, I, I spent a few years trying to prove you know, that I, I am a good entrepreneur that I can make this. And I went on this frenzy to start companies and become this serial entrepreneur. And, and then, uh, and then I hit a wall, you know, I realized that, that solely chasing profit, um, you know, and putting money in my pockets, wasn't putting meaning in my soul. And, and I realized that success wasn't fixing me. And I wanted to figure out how I could blend purpose and profit. And what did that look like? And I wanted to start asking these hard questions and I wanted to flip capitalism upside down. And um, this is the beginning of Sevenly where I thought, okay. Now wait, hold on, you know, pause for one second. I want, I want to go back for a second. Sure. At what point did you realize that chasing success wasn't fulfilling you? What was the moment where you had that aha moment that something's got to give? Yeah, I was 20, uh, 25 years old. And I realized that uh, the men that I was follow, or I was following at the time, you know, were very successful business people. And I, I thought, okay, great, like that's awesome. But they're also some of the loneliest people I've ever met in my life. Right. And and so I, I I said I want to redefine what success looks like. I, and I, you know, to be honest, I actually asked the question. I asked the question because I'm a Christian guy. I said, I said if Jesus started a company, what would that look like? And um. Now, now, as corny as that may sound, um, because of that philosophy, I ended up building a multi-million dollar company and it was a really great experience, but it started with a moral component at the very beginning. I was like, okay, let's redefine capitalism. Like, what does it look like to value people over profit? Um, not people instead of profit. Like, I'm not a communist, you know? I, I'm, I want to say, what does it look like to value people over profit? And I... Um, I, I started asking those questions and I, I said, okay, let's, let's create a company where every week 
we would partner with a new charity. We would create products like shirts and hats and beanies and jackets and things that you could buy maybe at like Urban Outfitters. And anytime somebody bought one of our products, we would give $7 to that charity that week. So if we sold a thousand products, we give that charity $7,000. Well, on week one, all of a sudden, uh, we sell 800 products the first week we launch. And I'm thinking, holy crap, like this works. Whoa, like, I can't believe this is working. Why is this working, you know? And I realized that I, I actually, it was growing very fast. And all of a sudden we found ourselves, uh, you know, a few short months later with 10 employees and then 20 employees. And then, you know, uh, two now, years later, now when did you start? Employees. When did you start this company, Sevenly? This is in uh, June 13th, 2011. Okay. Is when we, when we started the company. Why do you think... Why do you think um, it took off? Um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, what I think is, is that I, I was so focused on profit for such a long time of, of making money, ultimately because I needed to make money, but really just like trying to hustle to become this like millionaire. That, I actually had a goal. I remember telling myself, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And like, this was the focus for me at this time. And, and when, I, when, I, when I went in with my heart and mind into Sevenly and to, and to the companies that I do from, from, from that point forward is that, you know, building a, a million dollar company wasn't even on my radar at that moment. And, and I remember that, you know, seeing, seeing money not as the primary goal, but as a product, as a byproduct of helping a million people was the shift. It was the shift that I said, I said, you know what, I'm just going to focus on helping a million people. And, and as a result of that, I ended up building a multi-million dollar company. And it was that shift where I got lost, right? I got lost into something that was so fun and, and serving the community and, and changing the world literally. I mean, we raised now $4.2 million in $7 donations. I mean, people quite literally would, would probably not be alive today if we had not started this company. And I thought about it and I go, man, the more we focus on that in our marketing, the more we focus on that in our leadership is that, that you know, helping a million people, multi-million dollar companies is the byproduct of that. So that's where my focus and my heart was at that time. Awesome. So, okay, you wrote a book that just came out recently called People Over Profit, Break the System, Live with Purpose, Be More Successful. Talk to me a little bit about the break the system side of that, if you wouldn't mind. What system needs to be broken? Yeah, so the system is that almost all companies fall into a cycle and they all start off great. Um, every startup is a great company. Walmart was the greatest startup around. So was Bank of America in the late 1890s. And so was Ford. And so was McDonald's in the 1950s. They were all great. But what they do is they often follow a cycle of honesty and move into a, a, an era of efficiency. And they get big where they go from people over profit to people and profit. And we're massive and we're big. And they start become, you know, it, it, it's, it's, they become addicted to more and they start confusing being bigger with being better. Mm -hmm. But what often leads after the efficient era is an era, what I call the deceptive era. And this is when companies kind of start to lose their soul and, and forget what they, you know, why they started this company. And, and at that point, they either go out of business uh, or they enter into what I call the final era. So they ultimately have to change or die. And, and we saw this with, with Walmart in the late 90s where they became one of the most hated companies in the world. And do you think that Sam Walden ever started this company thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, ho I'm so excited to become the hatest most hated company in, the, in America, <laughs> yeah, I <don't> right? I think so. <laughs> Nobody says that, right? So, so we found out that companies often become things they never intended to be. Now, they enter back into the apologetic era 
and and where they they kind of earn back their consumer trust and they go back into this honest cycle. We're seeing this a lot today. We're seeing companies kind of regain trust. We're seeing companies come out that they were horrible. Domino's Pizza was like one of the worst companies in the world in the, in the 1990s. They released a documentary on themselves called the the Pizza Turnaround in 2010 to expose how crappy of a company they were in an effort to apologize to its customers to regain trust and to really go back into an honest era of their business. So so there's this cycle that we just go through. And remember that you know, with understanding comes change. We can't create the capitalism we want unless we understand what's happening. So the first half of the book is really under, actually I would say the first quarter of the book is really about, wow, look at this cycle. And if you're an entrepreneur, where are you at? You know, where's your company at? And and that's that's a really important component to breaking that cycle and to say, how can we just skip it all the time and just become companies that remain in the honest era forever for, you know, like companies like Whole Foods or, or companies like maybe In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A or Patagonia or REI, these companies that have been able to stand strong with an integrity for years and years and years. That's the type of company that I want to create. Very cool. Um, now, what message do you want to tell marketers when it comes to people over profit? What, you know, um, some people listening right now might feel like, okay, well, you know, this is a challenge that is with leadership that is above me and I still have to market for this business. What can marketers do? How can they maybe begin to get some change going on in their company um, and, and, and try to help the company see that perhaps they need to be focusing a little more on people and a little less on profit? Yeah. So I talk about this in the book. It's empathetic marketing. Okay, we got to remember that 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 our customers are not parts of our machine. They're not they're not the fuel behind our machine. They are people, right? We are speaking to people. And one of my favorite lessons is is speak to people how they need to hear it, not how you want to say it. In that empathetic marketing approach, in our social media marketing, in our authenticity, in the posts, the photography, the style, the marketing strategies, the frequencies, everything we need, we need to do, we need to focus on this speak to people how they need to hear it, not how we want to say it. And, and that's the empathetic marketing. When we come to them and we go, oh my gosh, how does this audience today on this social media platform need to hear my message compared to that social media platform on this day? You know, there's, there's different, it's that tone because marketers today, we know that you cannot, you never have a PhD in marketing because, you know, you go to school every morning, right? Because every day it changes. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're out of the game for six months, you, you, you're lost, right? So, so today you wake up in the morning, you go, okay, who am I speaking to? And are you being a prideful marketer? Because this, this, my friend is a big problem in today. And we don't understand why our messages aren't hitting home or, you know, it's, it's the idea is that, we're speaking to people as if like, we know everything and you need to be talked to this way. And so I just challenge people to do that. The second thing is if they knew what you knew, they would do as you do. And this is one of my favorite quotes. It's the idea is that we are as marketers are translators of information. And if, if they knew how great your product was, then they would buy it, right? That's ultimately the, the, the concept here. And, um, in people over profit marketing, you know, it's, it's, honest marketing. It's telling the truth clearly. It's telling the truth, um, you know, uh, fully. And, and I think that uh, today marketers have had the bait to be very dishonest and they've had the bait to be, uh, to be misleading. They've had the bait to be deceptive, uh, to be manipulative. Um, 
and and I think that lots of consumers have lost trust in a lot of squeeze pages. They've lost trust in blogs. They've lost trust in email marketers. They're very cautious on who they like and follow on Facebook and Twitter. And I think that we need to be marketers of integrity to stand firm and say, you know what, I'm going to speak to people how they need to hear it, not how I want to say it. I'm also going to, to, to speak with honesty and truth and integrity and authenticity and vulnerability and transparency. And I'm going to be human here. And I'm not going to show the highlight reel of everything. I'm actually going to be vulnerable. And I'm going to show you exactly who I am, who we are. And I think those are the moments, because we know, Michael, that the human brain works a certain way. And we know that love always wins. We know that truth always wins. We know that transparency wins. We know that authenticity always wins. It always has and it always will. So why aren't we using that in our marketing? Let's think a little bit deeper than strategy and tactics and go a little bit more into the emotional side. And I think that's where we're going to find marketers winning. I want everyone who's listening right now to hit the rewind button and listen to what Dale said again, because I think it is so important. We always, you know, we as marketers struggle with understanding why our messages are not connecting. And Dale has just laid out with great eloquence exactly what the problem is. So Dale, kudos to you. You and I are on the exact same page. Dale, let's transition into talking about some of the awesome marketing things that you're doing on your blog. Uh, Your blog is... Tell me what your blog is, actually. Yeah, so so there's there's two blogs that I write on. There's there's DalePartridge.com, which is also known as the Daily Positive. Um, and also I write on business and marketing on startupcamp.com. Gotcha. So um, one of our mutual friends, Lewis House, uh, told me that you're doing some amazing things um, to drive traffic to your blog. And knowing that we both appreciate... Um, Marketing, I wanted to kind of dig in. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. How are you driving traffic to your blog? And maybe just share a little bit about what you've been doing and what kind of response and results you've been getting. Yeah, you know, um, so content marketing has been like the funnest thing I've done in marketing for the last 10 years. And I've really enjoyed it because I realized when I was at Sevenly that every week, you can't just, actually, you know what? I'm going to go back to a problem. So I'm going to start with a problem. So there's, there's, there's two types of businesses in the world. There's content businesses and there's product businesses. So there's, there's content businesses like National Geographic or Kinfolk Magazine or Relevant Magazine, right? These are all content companies, right? Huffington Post. And then there's, there's product companies like Patagonia and Tom Shoes and uh, Warby Parker, right? So these are, these are product companies. Um, and Then there's this hybrid that's happening right now, which is a product content company. And these companies are killing it right now. So the idea is that, that um, like hypebe- uh, hypebeast.com, it's, it's one of the greatest streetwear blogs out there, but it's also a streetwear store. Or um, um, Jack Threads is owned by Thrillist, right? So the biggest men's blog, and then Jack Threads is the men's store, right? So this, this idea that you have both, right? And this is a new hybrid. And I thought about it and I go, you know what? If I owned a company like Patagonia, why don't I have Patagonia TV or Patagonia Magazine? Because I'll tell you what, I love that company, Patagonia, and I would read their magazine and I would watch their TV channel. And I thought the same thing about Tom's Shoes. And I thought, National Geographic, why don't they create a really cool like outdoor gear supply, right? And, and, and I thought about that. So I realized that at Sevenly especially, selling product as a marketer is really hard, especially when you when you don't have any content to push beside it. So what I mean is this: uh, every week we were trying to sell. You know, we had you know four hundred thousand people, or whatever, on our email, and we go. You know, every week it's like you want to buy a product, you want to buy a product, you want to buy a product, you want to buy a product. And guess what we did the next week? You want to buy a product, you want to buy a product, you want to buy a product. 
And eventually people realize that they go, you know what, I can't buy a product this week because nobody can buy a product every week. Well, when you shift into a content marketing strategy, you, can, you, you give them a reason to open up those emails again. You give them a reason to follow you again. You give them a reason to pay attention to your brand. And you can keep customers engaged 24-7. And that's the idea is that you, now the email is, is five charities that'll pay you to travel. And you open up and you go, oh, what a cool you know, piece of content. Uh, what a great story. And it's just, it keeps them in the feed and it keeps them close to the brand. So I uh, left Sevenly as I, I sold both my stock. Um, still, you know, uh, uh, you know, consider the founder of the company and still very close to the company, but went into the content space. I started writing a blog, uh, you know, about my life and, and, and I think about the things that truly matter. Um, a lot of the things about relationships and, and struggles and leadership and, and, um, and it, I started marketing mostly on Pinterest, to be honest. That was, I was like, I'm going to be the dude on Pinterest that just crushes it. So I, I, started, I started really trying to understand the algorithms of Pinterest, and, and I ended up um, building my account up to almost 700,000 followers and, and found myself as a massive traffic driver. I mean, we're doing about 800,000 visitors a month on that site, and um, it's just me. And um, so, so Pinterest has been a, a massive, I have about three accounts now that I've built uh, that I consistently use for traffic. Um, hey Dale, let's, let's pause for a second. Um, so, cause I want to explore this a little bit. So how long has your blog, the daily positive been around? October, 2013. Okay. So it's been about, about a, year a year and, and a half, about a year and a half. Yeah. So you've been doing this for about a year and a half and the kinds of art, how often are you publishing content? Well, 2014 was a little bit crazy. I published about 252 articles that year, um, which was way too much. Um, so now I'm trying to publish an article like every week or two. Okay, but you were writing all this stuff yourself? I wrote all of it myself. So tell us like what your typical blog post, you know, um, give, like, you know, I think you said it was like about relationships. So how long are these posts typically, just so people can understand that? Yeah, they're, they're, they're typically... Um, you know, they're typically about 400 to 800 words. Is it um, mostly your opinion, your stories? I mean, what kind of content are you producing? Yeah, mostly my opinion, uh, stories, and uh, lessons, um, studies, research, ideas, things like that. Um, you know, helping people through, uh, you know, some of the harder parts of life. And I think um, it was actually spawned by a question I was, I was so fascinated with business and I love writing about business. And, and, you know, as I said, I do that at startupcamp.com, but I, what I was doing is I was, I was in an airport and I had a conversation with a, with an older woman and she was, she was 39 years old and she was telling me about her relationships and we were catching the same flight. So I got a chance to know her for about three or four hours. And she said, you know, I, I was, she was so struggling with, with, she was in and out of relationships and couldn't make anything work. And she's now 39 years old and the dream of being a mother is slipping through her fingers. And I felt, gosh, like what a heavy thing, you know, that you want to be a mom and now you're like biological clock and she only has maybe a few years, if that, right, to, to have these children. And, and she was really hurt by it. And I thought, man, we get way too busy making a living that we forget to make a life. Hmm. And people, people need help there. And I, I thought, you know, and it was so clear to me and not clear to others. I mean, I, I've, I've have a, I would say I have a, a track record of trying to, to be very, realistic with my life. I got married at 24 and we have a daughter and, and look, working on number two. And, and so this is, I, I feel for these people that, that focus so much on making a living. 
um, that we forget those things. And so I, I thought I, I want to start writing about this stuff, not necessarily as like a male you know, daddy blogger or anything like that, but more like just like emotional leadership and, and just, uh, and leader blogger, you know, like how do you become a successful person type blogger? So that was, that was, um, that was kind of the, the efforts behind that. Um, how, how, how was this knowing you're a business guy? What was your connection between developing your personal blog? And, and I mean, why, you know, I, I'm sure some people listening right now are like, okay, he's pursuing a passion, something he's very interested in. But what was there any kind of connection to any um, business opportunity, or is this just another example of of people over profit? You know, trying to attract a certain kind of an audience um, and, and 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 figuring out what to do with it later. I mean, I'm yeah, curious. You know, so, yeah, so I mean, I, I was build, I was platform building, and I knew that 2014, I, I, I'd, I'd happened to sell, sell my stock, so I had a little bit of money. And I thought, you know, it's time to platform build. I want to get people to know who I am and, and, and to know the, the right version of me. And, um, uh, and the, the, the blog was making great money. I mean, there were certain months I was making $50,000 a month and I actually was, was tracking my income publicly for a while and, um, you know, getting a chance to, to get great opportunities for speaking and great opportunities for consulting and, and uh, met tons of interesting people. So the platform building uh, component was really, you know, it was this transition time for me to start startup camp. And that was this like, okay, what do I really want to do? I've had a year to kind of write a lot and get a lot out of my mind. And, um, but at the end of the day, my heart still goes out to entrepreneurs. My heart goes out to marketers. My heart goes out to people that are dreamers that, that want to create something better and, and it want to create that freedom in their life. And that, and that's, that's ultimately what happened. Okay. Uh, going down a little rabbit trail. Um, you said you get, you were getting 50,000 at, at the peak in a month. Was that mostly through like affiliate stuff and display advertising or selling some little products that you created on your own? I'm just curious without going too deep down that trail. Yeah, it was. I did a thing called Blog Camp. It was a one-day event. Um, you know that that uh, I I I developed and, and did that one event. It was like fifty thousand dollars just for that one online event. And then I sold it after. And then uh, ads. I was doing about just on AdSense, maybe about five to seven thousand dollars a month in AdSense. And then my affiliate stuff. Yeah, I got large, maybe around twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars a month on affiliates. Cool. Um, and so yeah, so there's a mixture of all those kind of things. Now and this was still even new to me. And this was, that's what's so shocking. My, my, everybody, you know, if you're a marketer listening to this, you know, people come up to you and they go, so wait, you make $10,000 a month doing what? <laughs> so, so it's, it's interesting. And I think, uh, I think I can relate with that. Okay. Let's get back to Pinterest. So, um, when did you discover that Pinterest could be a big traffic driver for you? And, and tell us a little bit about what, what you did on Pinterest to drive all this traffic to your blog. Well, we know that women own the internet, right? So, um, you know, they're all, they're there on it, on the internet more than we are. And, and they're more likely to share. And, uh, so I, I, I thought this would be a great place for me to, uh, to start marketing. And I started creating, if you go to, you know, pinterest.com forward slash Dale Partridge, and you go down to one of my boards called inspiring words, you'll see a lot of my pins for my articles. And, um, they're 500 by a thousand pixels tall, 500 pixels wide, thousand pixels tall, big, you know, titles with very authentic photos, really nice, not cheesy stock photography. And, um, you know, really easy to read. And I would push these things out. Again, speaking to the things that really matter in life and, and whether they, and also they really matter in business. And, um, you know, I've learned that titles, you know, we know this as content marketers, titles are everything. It's not like a better title is like you go from a 1X to a 2X. <laughs> you know, the right title can take you from a 1X to a 300X. So um, um, when you're talking titles and headlines, are you talking about uh, 
words that you're putting inside the graphics or are you talking about words that you're putting outside the graphics? Words that I'm putting inside the graphics. Um, below on Pinterest, typically, I don't think a lot of people are reading the commentary below that. It's such an image-driven platform. Right. Um, but I would, I would continue to, uh, to really curate. So uh, at the beginning, I was just, I, was just cur- I found so many cool blogs and I'm a, I'm a creative at the core. I mean, it's very weird that I love marketing as as much as I do. Um, but I, I, uh, I'm a creative of the course. So I was curating, you know, everything from wedding decor to, to men's fashionable shoes, to really cool furniture and all that kind of stuff that, that I found on websites that nobody else knew about. And I think that's what really grew the account so fast. And then off of that account, I started a repinning cycle for creating new accounts. And, you know, my wife now has an account about 700,000 and, and I own a couple other accounts. Um, now, wait, 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 wait. slow down for a second. Repinning cycle. Talk to me about what that means. Yeah, so you know, so just like like Twitter, right, or Instagram, right? The the whole world on Instagram is is about like, hey, give me a shout out, and you know, same thing, or you know, retweet me and and grow my account, right? Same thing with Pinterest. So you you know, I, what I did is I I created a new account for my wife, and I um, I added her to all of my boards, and I would allow her to pin onto all of my boards, and people started following her, especially because we have the same last name. So she had 700,000 followers on her account? She has more followers than I do now, and I started with mine. <laughs> so, well, how many do you have, just out of curiosity? Se- 700,000 also. Wow. Now, I know these are ultimately vanity metrics for a lot of platforms, but in Pinterest, do you find that there really is a correlation between the size of your followers and the likelihood that your pins are going to drive traffic? Yeah, definitely. So, for example... Um, I, out of the 800,000 followers that I get, or uh, visits I get on my blog each month, 42% of it is from Pinterest. Wow. So you're talking big numbers here. And, and the cool thing about Pinterest is that it's not like a spike like Twitter or Facebook. It is, I, I, I could go away for five months and my blog would still get that much traffic because I have like 500 pins for articles on Pinterest that have not, that have not just been shared like, you know, a thousand times that have like some pins that have been shared like 75,000 repins. I know it's, cra- and, it's uh, crazy. And I, you know, I got to just share, I mean, I have a site called mykidsadventures.com. Um, and I have, you know, we, we kind of defunded that site, but it's still out there and we're still getting 70,000 people a month coming to the site. And, um, like 92% of the traffic is coming from Pinterest. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Cause yeah. it just keeps and going. It just keeps coming and it just keeps coming. And I think, um, that's pretty amazing. Now, um, do you also use Facebook or is it just, I mean, what's your second I biggest do. source of traffic? Is it Facebook? Yeah. yeah. So I, I use, um, I use Facebook often. Um, it's definitely a heavy hitter for me. Email, um, you know, I'm a big fan of capturing. I, I think that it's not how many people that come to your website today that matters. It's how many people that you can capture that will come back again tomorrow. And so my, that's my philosophy is I'm really good at capturing emails. I'm really good at capturing likes and follows. And uh, so I use, I use Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, Pinterest, and email. And uh, I, I played in Tumblr and I even have an account with about 250,000 followers. And and it just doesn't work well for me. So um, uh, it was it was not the best for traffic driving. But but Facebook is great. Twitter's great. I think Twitter's got a long tail, uh, meaning that I don't think it's ever going anywhere. I think that it's becoming a, the millennials news source, and and um, it's almost like a a heritage platform, like Facebook might become. And um, but yeah, so I, the ones I'm really having fun with is Pinterest and Instagram right now. Interesting. Uh, Tell us what you're doing on Instagram because obviously that's its own little beast. The big challenge with Instagram is traffic, 
generation. Yes, right. right? And you you know that they got to be thinking about linking people out here soon. And, I, and they're doing it for ads, and they they might not ever do it for anybody for free. But it, you might they might say, hey, you know, uh, if you want to start an ad, you can link out. You know, and I I anticipate that that something like that will happen in the future. And even if it doesn't, uh, even doing a LinkedIn profile. Uh, I've been able to drive, you know, 2,000 visitors from from Instagram before on on some of my accounts. So I own a, I own a couple accounts. I own uh, one called Quotestagrammer, um, which I'm not going to even try to spell. You just have to Google around for it. Quotestagrammer, <laughs> and um, it has about 515,000 followers. I just post quotes three times a day on it. Um, That's and insane. I, yeah, and it's it's great. I have another one called Solid Quotes and another one called The Daily Positive all over 100,000 followers each. And, um, and I, again, grow accounts uh, off of one, grow one big account and then, and, then build, and then build other accounts off of that account. And um, so I've been doing that. And um, I haven't used it much for traffic yet. I'm waiting still. And, but I think uh, that there's a, a beast inside there. And I'm, I'm pretty eager to find out in the next uh, coming weeks to months. Okay. You've mentioned a couple of times that you build a big account and then you use it to build other accounts. I can't, not explore that a little bit with you. Um, just spend a few minutes talking about what the tactical or the strategy is on that. So people that are listening that might have a decent account can think about how that could benefit them. And, and in particular, what, how are you doing what you're doing there? Yeah. So on, on Instagram, it's really easy because it's similar to Twitter. So you can do the same thing on Twitter too. Um, is you can, you can, uh, when you, you can either buy an account if, you know, if you got some cash, you can find somebody that's already got a big account and say, Hey man, I want to offer you $5,000 for your, your large Instagram account. You just got to start with numbers or you can just take it slow and pay for shout outs. You can contact big accounts and say, Hey man, can you post my quote on your giant quote page for 20 bucks a, a quote? And you can do that and pay your way to the top and get yourself a hundred thousand followers. And then all of a sudden start doing that for other people. But what I do, um, is, is, you know, once you can figure out how to build that one big account is, uh, every quote that I do on that account is always shouting out one of my other accounts. And I do that with all the other accounts that are shout outing, you doing shout outs to the, to all my other accounts. So every, every quote at every time is constantly growing the other accounts. And there's three times a day on four different accounts. Um, whoa, 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 this is really cool. So I hope everybody understands what Dale's doing here. What Dale do, is doing is he's giving love to others, which are technically him. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Because nobody knows that it's, that it's me over there, you know. And, well, now, why, uh, why, what's, the, what's the strategy? Why not just do all this yourself? I mean, why, why do this, I guess, is the question. Um, you know, because I think that you, you, you're building up properties that are worth something too. I mean, um, I would say my, my quotes to grammar account might even, you know, it might, you know, might be worth, you know, 20, 40, 50, a hundred thousand dollars. Who knows these days because of what people pay for this kind of stuff. Um, if you're in deep in the marketing space, you know, that there's acquisitions occurring all the time. Mm. Um, but the uh, the social media space for for Instagram, I, yeah, I think it's unique, and I think that it's uh, you you get to build multiple platforms on different topics, so you can slightly go off topic where you can go like, hey, here's a great quote on an inspirational page, but you can do another shout out to a page that's an, on on startups or business, and it's not so far off that it's so weird, and you're not doing it all the time. It's like you know, out of one out of every five quotes is for the startup page. And so you can capture anybody that likes startups over on the startup page. And then you've built a business following on this one. And you have an inspiration following on this one. And you might have a Christian following on this one. So you can build these silos of, of genres, you know, of content. Um, so then, then you can now 
promote whatever you want to promote. You know, um, companies say, you know, come up and say, oh man, yeah, put share my product. And you see photographers doing this on Instagram all the time, right? There's a guy I follow, Folk Magazine or something like that. And he just, he gets 15,000 likes per post. And, and, you know, he just shows really cool folk-like products for every post he does. They're great content. I really enjoy his stuff. And he's probably making 200 grand a year <laughs> just on his Instagram. So uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities in Instagram um, and Pinterest um, to kind of play in that space. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's interesting. It's an everyday battle to learn, to learn what's next. Well, we've gone down quite an interesting path here. We started with talking about your story and how you began to realize that it's more important to focus on people over profit. And then we went we went deep into some really cool things that you're doing on the social front. I want to bring it back to the concept of people over profit. Um, for everyone who's listening right now that is really focused on profit and not on people, what message do you want to leave them with? You know, how you make people feel about themselves says a lot about your marketing, your leadership, and your business. And um, so it, it, we got to start looking at people as people, not parts. And so I think that, you know, the book People Over Profit is really, uh, it's a heart cry um, because we're homesick for a version of marketing and leadership and capitalism that we can trust, that we love, that we want to stand behind, you know, because there's no such thing as bad companies. There's just bad leaders and, um, and bad marketers. And, and, uh, and bad CEOs and bad executives and bad employees. And so um, I think it's a book for everybody. Um, it's a great philosophy of business. You know, I think, you know, when you read Malcolm Gladwell stuff or, you know, Jim Collins stuff, it's just deep, big philosophies. Um, but there's still a lot of tactics. And I still think a lot of marketers would, would get a really great um, piece of mess. I actually have a, a deal for you guys. Um, if you go to peopleoverprofit.com forward slash SME, uh, you're going to get my $300 coaching kit for free. It's some coaching videos, a People Matter ebook, um, really cool private podcast. That's just for you guys. Um, you guys get that for free if you, if you pick up the book. Awesome. Um, is, does it matter whether that SME is uppercase or lowercase? Nope. Awesome. Uh, Dale, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Again, um, that URL, if people want to... Um, check it out was peopleoverprofit.com slash SME. Is that correct? That's correct. And if anybody want to reach, wants to reach out to you on the social channels, what's the best one to reach you on? You know, um, I'm everywhere at Dale Partridge. Awesome. Dale, thank you so much. On behalf of everyone that's listening right now, thank you for sharing your inspiring story. And I know that a lot of people are going to be very excited when they hear this. Dude, thank you so much for having me, Michael. Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's show. I know I did. If there was anything that we mentioned in the show and you missed it, don't worry about it. We take all the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 144. That stands for episode 144. Also, if you're new to the show and you're not already a subscriber, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast player you are listening on. And uh, it's free, obviously. You don't want to ever miss a future episode of the show. If you're a regular listener to the show and you haven't already done so, and I know a lot of you have not yet done this, can you consider giving me a rating and or a review? Two ways to do it, socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes or socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher, depending on which platform you might be listening on. Why do this? Because it does help us get discovered by new people and we always want more and more people to learn about this great show. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. 
and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.